flying from this town, checking into that hotel, eating dinner by yourself, all while cutting weight, and the only thing you have to look forward to is being trapped in a steel cage with a trained assassin. Literally. And we got guys that won't show up to fights because their foot hurts. What's happening guys? Happy Tuesday and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. What a night of fights it was on Saturday. Coming up in just a moment, I'm going to tell you all about them. After that, I'm going to dive into what's next for Sean Strickland, at least possibly, and I'm also going to tell you why something is off regarding next month's scrap between Chemayev and Paula Costa. But before we get to all that guys, Let's dive into this weekend and a little controversy we saw in the main event. The Bullet versus Grosso, what should have happened and what do you do now, right? Because you're, you're answering the same question at the same time. It's very difficult to say the world doesn't want to see that fight. It's very difficult to say, not the world doesn't want to see that fight, but it's very difficult to say that when they just fought in the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, and sold out and did it on ESPN. Like, it's very difficult to say. I don't know that there's much better ideas at 125 pounds. I know there's other things that you can do, but if we're arguing ideas, because we're completely eligible to redo the match. If you have a draw, it is like having a hung jury, which means this never happened. Prosecution didn't win, but neither did the defense. We ne it's never happened. This was a colossal waste of time. That, that is what that's to mean. So you would rematch them. The other side of the coin, this wasn't the first time they fought. It was the second time they fought. And both times, the belt left with the same person. So if you're in Grosso's shoes, you don't have to say, I beat you and then I drew with you. And there was controversy. You don't have to say that. You say, I've given you two opportunities and you fail both, both times. If that's the hard fight and that's the hardest fight and your job is to protect the belt, that's what you got to come out and do. There is zero chance that Grosso will do that. There's zero chance that she even knows that she should do that. And there's zero chance that her coaches, once they see me say that, go, oh my God, he's right, are going to tell her to do that. Okay, great. What does the bullet do? Well, you have the bullet who has wasted all of her time from a marketing standpoint trying to be liked by you guys when she's a heel. She cut a heel promo in the ring and, and nobody even talked about it. So you guys didn't hear it. The bullet said... They gave Grosso the match because it's Independence Day in Mexico and she's Mexican. That's you. That's a heel promo. Right. You guys weren't even listening. And it's a fascinating thing. It's a fascinating thing because there is nothing more powerful in America to be liked. Nothing. Not success, not money, not beauty. Nothing is more powerful in this country than being a victim. And the bullet was victimized. That was wrong. She won that fight, and she won it handily. Handily. So this was the time to get everything that she wanted, which is a false perception by you guys to cheer for. And you can run it back later. It's It, it has to be then. It's got to be in that moment. Now, they do have one thing. That's the whole reason I'm talking to you. They do have one thing going for them. There's not another match. I can't argue for you. That's a big match. Can't argue for you wherever they put that thing, it's going to return to a main event. I can't even argue for you. It should have been the main event on Saturday. But I can't tell you of a bigger match within that weight class. And that would be different. 
had Rose not broken her hand and would have won that fight. But she did break her hand. She didn't win the fight. The gal that beat her is the gal next for Grasso if you don't want to go the route of the bullet. So I'm, ju I'm just suggesting for you, like, it, it was hard to see. The, the, the effort by the bullet, that kind of hard and grit and determination was so admirable. And you can hope your whole life and work your whole life. You're unlikely to have that moment. Even if you find yourself in the opportunity, you're unlikely to hold up to that kind of resistance. It was awesome. She is awesome. Now, I have to say the same thing for Grasso. From a mental and a toughness and a grit standpoint, she just wasn't as good of a fighter. Simple. That's the only thing I can say against Grasso. She wanted it. She hung in there. As a matter of fact, going to the fourth round, she clearly lost the first round. Like, this isn't a debate. I really don't want to back and forth with you guys. And if you don't agree with me, take it and just go do what you want with it. I don't want to back and forth. She clearly, bullet, won the first three rounds. So going into the fourth, Grosso now, mathematically, has got to stop her. The only thing she can do is stop her. Whether that's by a knockout, a TKO, or a submission. Does she have the energy left to even try? And at the beginning of the fourth round... Just in case you're thinking she doesn't know in her heart she lost the first three. You go watch the way she started the fourth round. When the math is now against her, she did nothing but try to finish that fight because she knew she was down by three. And it was awesome. And most people don't have that determination. They will just start trying to run out the clock. They will switch to what's called a moral victory, also known as a snooze fest. And she didn't do that. She tried to win that fight. And, I mean, I really have to give some high praise there. Now... When the math of the fight comes out, it was the fifth round, which I also had for the bullet. The fifth round was not only not for the bullet, and it was not only for Grosso, it was 10-8 for Grosso. Can that happen? I got asked that question. Mike Bell scored it that way. 10-8, can that happen? Yeah, yes, Mike Bell's not wrong. He's not wrong to come to that interpretation because that interpretation was within the limits and that's coming from me, who not only didn't have it 10-8, I had the whole round for Shevchenko. To be eligible, to be a 10-8 round, rather. Now, what I'm going to tell you is an explanation of the rule. I am not citing the rule for you. I'm going to tell you a level colloquial interpretation of it, okay? To have a 10-8 round, at some point within that round, the fight had to be eligible for stoppage. A 10-8 round, and this would be a little bit of a strong way to say it, but I'm going to say it this way because you'll, you'll understand it, is the judge's way of fixing what the referee screwed up. And a TKO, just so you understand, is the referee's way of fixing what the corner has screwed up. If the corner doesn't protect their fighter, the referee will pull him off, and it's called a TKO, and it's very common, and nobody ever says, hey, corner, you screwed up. You don't think you screwed up? You and the referee have a disagreement because he saw something different than you. You guys don't agree with each other. So what happened? Nobody ever does that, but they should. That's what a TKO is, is the referee telling the corner, you didn't do your job, I'm now going to do it for you. A doctor stopping is coming and telling the referee, you screwed Like, there's checks and balances in this thing. Do you understand that? So when a judge comes in and says 10-8, it had to at least be eligible to be stopped. And it was. You go back and you watch that fight. And with 30 seconds left, when Grosso has the body triangle and is teeing off, the bullet covers up. She can't roll and she can't move because her lower body is trapped. 
Now, she's trying to protect herself. The smartest thing to do is to cut right. It's the same thing you would do on your feet with your hands up. It looks bad when somebody does it. It's the right thing to do. The other side of the coin is you can only do it for so long. You can only take so many shots for so long while you're clammed up and being controlled. Now, you're likely, just to a human element, not any part of the rules, you're likely to be given a little bit of grace when you're dominating the fight and it's in the fifth round and there's only 30 seconds left and you clearly don't want out. But I'm sharing with you that position in many other fights, maybe not in fifth rounds of championship fights, though it could have been, that position in many other fights has been stopped on all scenes, from the regional scenes all the way up to the big boys. Grosso leaves that position and goes for a choke instead. She had to pick her poison. She knew she needed to finish. And the bullet's got her hands up, and some people will argue, oh, that's defense, right? You're getting, you're, you're getting hit, you're getting hit. But, but at any rate, so Mike Bell's not wrong. That round was eligible for stoppage. I not only don't think Grosso won it, I don't think she won it, or had a 10 I don't think she won it. I think the bullet won the round. I'm not sure the bullet didn't also win the fourth round. I'm not sure you didn't have a clean sweep. So it, it was just a very interesting position because it's not for me to argue later. I may do it. I may get 100,000 people to click on this video. I've never had 100,000 people click on a Grosso or Shevchenko video before, but it might, this might be the first time. I'm still a dollar short and a day late. They got to do it in the ring that night. They must influence the headlines that came out this morning. They must influence the questions that come at the press conference and the responses they get from Dana White 40 minutes after this is going to happen. You must. Or there's no point in even doing it. Now, they're in one. I, I know I've said it twice. I'm going to say they're in a little bit different position in that that weight class is so wildly uninterested by you guys. You're just not interested in it. There's not necessary. There's not some money fight out there or something. There's just not. There's a chance if you do things right. Now, how does that look? That The bullet gets it right and Grosso continues to nod. If Grosso doesn't want that fight to happen, she can end it. Say what you need to say before the bullet says what she needs to say. That's it. That's it. I've given you two chances. Ten rounds. And I left with your strap both times. Now, I'm just, just sharing with you. So, right, the two highest rounds, the two high points of both fights went to Grosso. The one where she submitted her the first time, the one where she 10 her the second time, whether we agree with it or not, right? This, this is still what happened. So it's an interesting point, and no, I don't, I don't think the judges had it wrong. I did not have it how the judges had it, but what I'm sharing with you is there, there was no malfeasance here. That round was eligible for stoppage. I saw something different. Just recapping with you. That's what happened. Elwani's Twitter profile, looking for a topic for the day. And shockingly, I found one. And that's the first time in a long time. Talking about darts and... I, I, at any rate. So he, he had some MMA today. And he had the bullet on. And my days of attempting to correct the bullet are behind me. They're... They're behind me because one of my, my largest arguments with the bullet came from an envious standpoint of the, the overwhelming success that she's had and what should be able to be done with that success. 
That's it. I, I had no other critique of her, like from a fighting standpoint, she's a beautiful girl and people like her and she seems to have good energy and uh, speaks seven languages and trains people and gives back. And it's one, one of these situations. Her mother was a fighter, something along these lines, made her mother proud, has got her sister, right? The bullets got everything going for her. She's also the most decorated fighter that I know of that has never been a main event. And even if you want to correct that and tell me about once upon a time in front of an empty bag, I, I don't think there is a story like that, but please don't correct me. If you're champion of the world and you're champion of the world many times over and you haven't main evented a pay-per-view that was meaningful, you, just stop. You haven't main evented. We're saying the same thing. And it was very interesting that biggest sold-out crowd and a main event belonged to her as a challenger. It was a very interesting thing. And I, I had made a suggestion over time that she go heal. I had made a suggestion trying to study this, right? It's, it's, it's a very unique case where you have a very attractive, not to mention she demographically represents Kyrgyzstan, right? It's, it's, a, it's a part of the world. I mean, I remember when my, Michael Bisping was like the highest paid guy that you heard of to the point that Lorenzo Fertitti even told me, I've never had any, never had any fighters pay disclosed that's brought more people to my desk than Michael Bisping's. He said, and this is from Lorenzo himself, he said, you got to understand, when I get Michael Bisping, I get an entire country. So don't bring me what you've done. He has an entire country. It was just the truth. Lorenzo just told the truth. And we've got a lot of people like that, that represent an area. Sean O'Malley and the Irish, right, come, come in from uh, uh, Arizona. But he goes out to Boston. Just, what are these amazing things? And I bring that to you only because she also has that. She shares it with her sister, but she's got a lot of things in boxes that she could check. You find out about the seven languages. I mean, pe people have argued that she's actually a, an international spy, of which there's no truth to that. But, but her level of success is so extraordinary, and her skills are so unique, that it was a pretty easy rumor to get started. That used to live a lot stronger. I, I actually haven't heard it on, on the interwebs in a while, but it used to live pretty strong. That's amazing. That's, that's how you become a myth. It's, it's amazingly powerful thing and still can't be a main event to defend her title. It's just an interesting spot. I just try to break it down. I came to a conclusion of you have a heel that's trying to be liked. Whose, whose perception and, and, and sportsmanship and people cheering are, are so at the core of what's important to you that the audience is seeing through it and not grasping on. And the only way to know that, that is right is if she embraced it and went heel. And it didn't happen. It's also not going to happen. She's also not the champion, so it's not the same meeting, the same opportunities. And I, I'm just going to let it go, but I sure do admire her. And I felt as though I understood her a little bit better today. My, my general consensus was, and particularly when you're a second generation person, but you're the third person in your house, right? When you do it, your sister does it and your mom does it. You would think just at the dinner table, you could sit down and figure out how to draw. My father wasn't a fighter, but he was a fight fan. And we would drive around in his truck when I was a little kid. I want to be like Mike Tyson. I used to wear black socks. Mike would wear these black boots, but you couldn't see his socks. So I, I didn't have the boots, but I would wear the socks and pretend they were boots. And I would have black shorts like Mike Tyson with nothing written on them. And I wouldn't have a robe. I would have a towel that I cut out and put my head through. Mike Tyson never wore a robe. 
and I would pretend I was Mike Tyson. I'd go watch what I could have his tapes. There was no internet back then, so you had to catch it live. I didn't even have a VHS recorder, but I had to catch it live. And I'd go in the living room, and I'd try to do Mike, right? I'd try to do what I could do. But my mother, my father would talk to me about it. He's like, hey, it's, it's not as incumbent that you be as good as you are interesting if you want to be a main event and you want to make it. I said, well, Mike, Mike's the best. And my dad said, well, maybe, maybe. You don't know that. So he said, I do. He's a champion of the world. He's the best. He, well, my dad said, you know, he's, 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 he's never lost, but he's only fought 28 men. My dad said, there's, there's 2 billion men on this planet. He don't know if he's the best because he fought 28 of them. And it was just my dad's point. I didn't get it at the time. Mike was the best, and that's why he was a star, and that's why he's got Robin Gibbons. That's why he's doing the Diet Coke commercials. Like, this, this is what I thought, but I was also 11 years old. But we would have these conversations about what it might do that you found that was interesting. It wasn't that he bobbed his head like that. He did something else that you found interesting to bring you in so that you watched the piece where you noticed the head bobbing and the towel and the black boots without socks. We would have conversations about those things. I watched the bullet on Ariel's show today, and I just realized from a different standpoint, they just don't, they, they haven't had those conversations. It was a different time. And it was just a different time. When, when the parental, right, the parent came through, there was nobody watching, and there was no sponsors, and there was no money. It was purely about the honor of victory. And when I started to understand that that's where she comes from, and just as a colossal misunderstanding of the business side of it, and how you get placements on a card, and why she was a champion for so long and was never a main event. And why is it challenger? There's 17,000 people. Like when I, when I realize that she is a colossal misunderstanding, she's on aerial show. I'm not giving her a hard time, by the way. I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm trying to make up, trying to smooth things. She's on aerial show, and she told Ariel it would only be fair if she rematched Grosso in Kyrgyzstan on Kyrgyzstan's Independence Day. It would only be fair. And you must understand, this is after, and it's about eight minutes after. She's told Ariel, Ariel's re-asked, she's told Ariel again, Ariel's re-asked, who do you want to fight next? And she said, whoever they want me to fight next. And it wasn't the promotion, it was you guys. If the fans want to see me fight in a trilogy, if the fans want to see me fight someone else, if the... And that's where the first misunderstanding that she spoke of comes from. How would you know who the fans want you to see? You're the one on camera. You're the one doing the interview. You're the one with the massive social media. How, how would we get to you? Do fans get to go on Ariel's show where they just start yelling? or they hold, how, how would you ever know what the fans wanted? How would you ever know what the pulse was? You look at a couple of DMs on Twitter and that... It, it was a very strange thing to say, but it also showed an understanding. No, you've got to steer the ship. You tell them where you want them to go. Now, they're not necessarily going to get behind it. That's where you do turn to the social media and you find out that's not the direction they're interested in. Then it's incumbent on you to throw out another idea and pitch a story along with it and try to get it over. And then they will get back to you and they will let you know if they like that idea. If they do, run. 
See if you can get it done with the promoter. If you can't, get it to start directions again. It doesn't start with the fan, though. It was a very odd thing. And then she mentions, and she was serious. This wasn't a joke. It would only be fair to rematch in Kyrgyzstan on Independence Day. The fight that she just had wasn't in Mexico. It was in America. So when you're talking about being fair, what is it you're talking about? And moreover, when is Kyrgyzstan's Independence Day? And she referenced the president of Kyrgyzstan and what a supporter he is of sport. I didn't know any of those things. That's interesting to me. I don't refute them. What sports does the president specifically get behind in Kyrgyzstan? And moreover, what sports are happening in Kyrgyzstan? And where are they? And in what network? Like, what infrastructure and basis would you possibly say that a mixed martial art should come to Kyrgyzstan? You might have a great answer. There might be gyms all over the place. It might be huge over there. Maybe they got something on the regional scene or an amateur scene. Maybe you got up-and-coming fighters. Maybe you got movie theaters there and they're selling out and they're doing closed caption. They got a different kind of program. I'd be interested in all of these things. I know over in Japan where you think that this whole sport came from, they don't even have magazines on the shelves anymore. I mean, like different parts of the world, it's dried up completely. Possibly it's Kyrgyzstan isn't like that, but I would love to hear that. And when you talk about it's fair and it's fair and you want to do a rematch, are you talking about sport or are you talking about business? It sounds like you're talking about sport, which I can get behind and respect. I'll leave you alone about the business. But if we're coming to your country and you're the Kyrgyzstan fighter and you think that the president's going to be behind it, like this sounds like a pretty big thing. Is there any level of interest that you have any level of basis from? Or is this back where ideas aren't going to come from you, they're going to come from the fans and you're willing to do what they want? I just I get a little bit lost in it. And Arrow was trying to help. Arrow was trying to steer her back. Do you have an opponent? Do you want a rematch? And there's no problem. There's no problem at all. I'm just sharing with you, when, when I watched that interview, I mean, Arrow asked this three times. She said, I, I got a hurt hand. So I can't call anybody out because I can't tell you dates because I can't tell you when I, I, I could train. And I'm sitting back and saying, then why are you here? What is it we're doing here? And the bullet did get victimized. She dominated that fight. Not only did I not have it a 10-8 round, oh, which I don't disagree with. You, you could come to that interpretation. I don't even think Grosso won the fifth round. I think the bullet did. I think the bullet won all five rounds handily. So I see where that would come from. But if you're not choosing to raise that argument and you think that the audience is, it's going to get suppressed. The audience is going to go with whoever puts out the best idea first. And if the bullet is, in fact, the hardest opponent, Grasso knows. Grasso knows how hard of a fight that was. Maybe she didn't mind a hard fight, but maybe she does. If the bullet has now said, I'm hurt, I'm unwilling to, uh, independence and the president and, and, and Kyrgyzstan, Grasso's going to be, she's going to be able to come and throw water on that flame incredibly fast, should she want to. The good news for the bullet is Grasso is just as bad and uninformed about this as she is. Jr., total stud, Kevin Holland, total stud, very different paths, one won, one lost.
One stock went up and the other didn't, and it's not the one that won, it's not the one that lost. Stop right there, let me explain. Rosas Jr. gets done. I will never pick on Rosas Jr., at least not for a couple of years. He's a boy. He's a boy and he's coming up. And I think he's doing a great job, by the way. I think he's wildly talented, by the way. He has a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, which you want to use and you want to maximize, but you also feel the pressure in it. You're also in the back and you're the youngest guy. And you guys can all relate to that. You just probably haven't put yourself in that position. Even you tough guys out there. You tough guys when you were fifth graders. Why, why I went to school as fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. You tough guys when you were fifth graders. Were you ready to take over the school? Or did you look around and say, I'm a little bit too young? I don't know if I could beat that eighth grade or not, but he, he looks intimidating to me. Rinse and repeat. When you were a freshman, even you tough guys, did you think you could take over the school? Did you look to those juniors and seniors and say, man, I better stand in those hallways? It's the way it goes. Now, now you got Rosas. Uh, Rosas signed at 17. He's already found himself in a back and forth with Aljo, who was the champion of the world. Now, Rosas stood his ground. I don't know how much of it he actually meant, but he stood his ground. That'd be a hard position, wouldn't it? Be a very hard position. And it was a hard position. And he went out there and he, he got very fatigued in a match. He learned about exhaustion. He learned that what people have told him, the jab and the cross and the slip are the most important thing. They're not. Conditioning is. And then learning how to win a match, which means taking that condition and learning where to use it so that you can preserve it. He learned that. We didn't know if he learned it. We didn't know after that loss that he learned it. We knew that that was exposed to him. But he still had to deal with all the things that I just said, except now with the loss and people questioning him instead of being on the bandwagon. It was a very different spot for a young man. I'm going to call him a boy. You know, I know that he's 18. But I also know he still lives at home and doesn't have his full education yet. To me, that's a boy. I'm not going to go by the law. And that's not somebody I'm going to give a hard time to. Somebody I was very impressed with. And he goes out. He deals with the adversity that he dealt with prior. Now he's got to walk out, right? He's a Mexican athlete brought into Mexican independence. There's pressure on that, guys. Youngest guy on the card. Coming off not only a loss, he's coming off of a stoppage loss. It's a big deal. And he did learn from that night. And he does still believe in himself. And what he did was great. And when it was over, okay, I mean, all the build-up to get to this point, when it was over, he talked about, I'm going to be champion. I'm going to break all the records. I'm going to be the biggest star this sport has. Stop. They don't go hand in hand. Those things are not related. And I know that young athletes think that they are. And we can see this over and over. And I can hold class in session. You can watch. I can't force you to understand the content. They don't go hand in hand. If you were to have all the records in terms of the competition, you're to win more fights than anybody. Is that one of the records? And you're the championship fastest. I mean, what do you want to do? What, what kind of records are we talking about that you're going to have? That doesn't equal star. We have champions right now who aren't stars. We had a champion close out the night that very night who's not a star. I mean, we, we, they're not the same thing. And I, I don't bring it to you because he said or did anything wrong. I bring it to you because it's a psychology and understanding that you've got to master at a young age because it will be refined over and over and over again. And the few people that do understand are not going to give it to you. They're not going to hand you what those answers are, but it's really incumbent. There's a big piece of the riddle, taking his own words, but it's a big piece of the riddle. How if I become champion and how if I break all the records, can Chael say I'm not going to be a star? They don't go hand in hand. We have many champions right now who've never even been a main event. They can't draw on a co-main event. We have to put them in the spot because they happen to have a belt. 
they don't go hand in hand. I'm going to use Kevin Holland as the other side of that. Kevin Holland did not win, but he was in a much bigger placement. You guys watch that show with the volume up. Nobody got a pop of the night of Kevin Holland, and John Anik revealed that ticket sales themselves completely changed when Kevin Holland got put on the card. I don't believe Kevin Holland won his last fight. Now, that's off the top of my head, but off the top of my head, his last fight was Chemayev. Did he have one in between, guys? He might have. He likes to stay awfully busy. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did, as a matter of fact. He had Chiesa. He just fought. But I'm just sharing with you the point is still the same. Like, it doesn't matter if it, on a win or a loss, Kevin Holland's not going to look any different. He's not going to act any different. He's not going to stop calling people out. Matter of fact, he lost that night to Jack De La Lima, who most people didn't know. I mean, there's a huge pop for Kevin Holland. Nobody cheered for Jack. I've been telling you guys about Jack, but I'm just sharing. Like, like in the heat of that moment, it for sure was Kevin, which would then add to the theory that John Anik revealed for us. But when that fight was over, we, we had guys that won fights. Well, including, including Rosa Jr., who didn't call anyone out. Kevin Holland lost the fight. He called Neil Magny out instantly, and then he even made it funny and put it, put it on a hair match. You can say that's a silly gimmick all you want, but when Kevin Holland does it, all of a sudden you realize, man, he's not joking around. Whether you think that's cool, they're going to shave each other's heads. It's way beyond the point. But there is an attitude that you lose with. Whether you're ready or you're not ready, we will believe you. We have people that claim they're black belts. I don't think any of them have lied, but zero of them since 1993 have ever been verified. None. Wouldn't even consider doing it. If you say you're a black belt, we say you're a black belt too. If you say, I'm not quite ready, we're not going to come in and build you up and go, yes, you are. You look great. God, how do you not see it? You are. As soon as those words come out of your mouth, it's over. I will not fight my teammate. Even if you really will, as soon as it's said, it's over. And I just share it for you that Kevin Holland will never, I mean, he follows the golden rule in business. It doesn't matter if it's this business. You could be in an office wearing a suit. Don't ever let him see you sweat. Whatever the situation, however bad your pitch ends up being received, don't ever let them see you sweat. It will unravel quickly. If you don't act like a boss, you're not a boss. I know people that think that they're bosses because they got a promotion somewhere or they had a nice resume and somebody picked them. That is not the way it works. It is an attitude. You're a boss or you aren't. And I'm not going to ask your subordinates. I'm not going to ask the other people. I'm going to ask you. Are you a boss or are you not? Kevin Holland lost and Rosa won. If they are to fight together on the same card next time, I don't know what the placement will be. But Kevin Holland will be over an hour later. That I can tell you. You guys want to disagree with that. This isn't all to pick on Rosa. It's a great point that Rosa brought up. And it is one that people make all the time. If I win more matches or I have a title, it wouldn't matter what record you broke. A lot of times they do go hand in hand. A lot of times they are simultaneous. It's not an if-then statement. But it's definitely not a then-if statement either. So sometimes you got to choose. Which do you want to be? And it takes a balance of both, right? If you're not winning fights, you're not within the organization. If you're not within the organization, you're not on TV. If you're not on TV, you're not getting interviews. If you're not getting interviews, you can't, you can't build a base. But it doesn't matter how many times you walk into that cage, you will never be a star without the interview. There are people who have never gotten the cage but have only done the interview that are stars. 
You guys think the pay structure in MMA goes Dana White, Conor McGregor. You're wrong. It goes Dana White, Joe Rogan. Two guys, by the way, who have never gotten the kick with short pals in their mouthpiece. Right, but they do the interviews. I'm just sharing with you. I'm trying to prove my point here. And there's a meaningful difference and there's a real lesson there. And I think that both guys did a really great job. Rosa came back from a lot and proved himself and showed himself and held his head high. And he did it in front of an audience that was expected a lot from him. And he did it as an 18-year-old. There's a lot on that to be very, very proud of and grow from. Kevin Holland is the other side of that coin. But Kevin Holland is a, a jiu-jitsu practitioner, and particularly from his back. There was not one second of that fight that they grappled. And don't forget, you don't have to have a takedown to have grappling. You can clinch. Randy Couture won fights from the clinch. People think he's up there striking. He's not straight. That's grappling. He's a Greco-Roman wrestler. Go watch Greco-Roman wrestling. That's what he's doing. And he's making it dirty, right? He's making it. I understand that, but he's still wrestling. There wasn't one second of that fight where they did what Kevin Holland wanted to do. 15-minute brawl. He brawled with him. You guys didn't know he had that in him, but he did. He's awesome. He did a great job. And then he went right into calling out Magni. And that was a miss by Jack. Jack should have also called out an opponent. And in my opinion, that opponent should have been Ian Gary. Have you guys ever wondered how your personal data shows up on the internet? I'm gonna tell you, you gave some company at some time permission to use your information however they wanted. Perhaps when you clicked on that little box at the end of the online form, you also waved goodbye to your privacy, your address, phone number, where you work. The info found online is endless. This can lead to identity theft. It also makes it really easy to access your private accounts. I've always said I will fight anyone at any time, but there's one battle I prefer not to fight. The battle against data brokers. It's such a pain to try and get your information deleted from these sites. This is why I want to recommend Delete Me. Delete Me service was so easy and honestly, felt like a high-end luxurious service. All you have to do is complete a short form online with your past and most recent info and boom, they take care of the rest for you. It takes less than a few minutes to start wiping your personal info off the internet. It's not just one and done either. Delete Me will do a new search every quarter to make sure your information has not reappeared. It's like your own personal data concierge. Don't fight this battle on your own. Let Delete Me go to battle for you right now. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go join deletemecom chael and you use the promo code chael. The only way to get 20% off is to join deletemecom chael and enter the promo code chael at checkout. That's www. Join deleteme.com slash chael. Make sure you use the promo code chael for 20% off. Keep your personal data to yourself. I don't talk politics with you guys. I don't talk politics with you guys. Not because I don't like it. I, I actually really enjoy politics. I don't talk politics. I don't want to get in an argument. I don't, I don't want to offend you. 
Like, those opinions shouldn't go back and forth. We're fight fans, right? We can all agree on that, so let's just keep it on fight fans. There's a relevance, though, to politics, because ultimately, you're gaining without throwing punches. You're in a knockdown, dragout fight, but you're doing it in headlines, and you're doing it verbally, and you're trying to be one step wits-wise ahead of the other guy. You're never going to punch him, and you're never going to kick them, but ultimately, you are going to gain the number one thing that you need, the mandate of the masses, which is you. You cannot move a needle and you cannot do anything. You can't get signed to the organization without it, to some degree. You will not be on a main card without it, to some degree. You will not come up that card without it, to a degree. And we can all understand that, right? We all really get that. And there, there is a massive push and pull right now at 185 pounds, but there's one thing that's left out. What does Sean Strickland want to do? It is the only question that hasn't been asked. And believe me, I I've seen a number of scumbags, and I'm sure that you guys aren't, that piling on Israel Adesanya, which has really been a surprise to me. I mean, I I've heard things like he was never very good in the first place. He doesn't deserve a rematch. And deserve a rematch is, is a really weird point. I, I don't know whoever taught you that word deserve or where you think that's going to come in in life. I, I really don't know who did that. They did you a tremendous disservice. But moreover, if you do want to talk about deserving, then you want to talk about numbers and you want to put the champion against the number one ranked guy. Right? Of course you do. So if you're Izzy and you were the champion and you've beaten everybody else, even if you lose to Sean, you fall to what? From champion, you fall to what? When you fall, what do you fall to? You fall to number one. You go from champion to number one. So if you put number one against the champion, then of course he deserves a rematch. I mean, it's just like a level of stupidity that I can't stand. It's been asked of everybody. Been asked of Izzy, who dropped a mic at a press conference. Rolled out with his crew. It's been asked of Dana White. I have come out and told you as clearly as I know how to speak that the announcement that Shemaya versus Paula Costa is going to be for number one contenders match. Well, we're all just guessing. Drikas Duplissi went on Ariel's show. He didn't call for it. He actually called for a fight with Izzy. I respected it tremendously. But one thing, I'm just sharing all these different guys. Robert Whitaker, very charming and wonderful guy. Robert Whitaker did a piece as early as this morning. And he talked all about the fight. And he talked about what he thought went wrong. But what nobody has asked is what would Sean Strickland like? And why do I compare that to politics? Why? Because you can manipulate it. You can manipulate it through the voice and the mandate of the most important thing, which is the masses, which is you guys. Now, everybody knows who's who. You get a room full of fighters together and you could have them work out. You could run a practice for an hour. At the end of the hour, everybody in there will know who's number one, who's number two, and number three. Even if they never touch each other, they could be on separate sides of the room. If they all work out together, they'll all know. You could get a room full of fighters together, and you could play music as they all sit there on their iPhones. One hour later, everybody in that room will know who the baddest dude is. Sean Strickland has one job right now. It's the same job of every champion. To fight the easiest opponent for the most money. Sean Strickland, little known fact, actually has a few friends in this sport. One of them is named Osma Chamayo. They've also trained together and they've worked out together. And there's interviews that Sean has done with the Schmo specifically talking about those workouts. And you're not going to get the fine print on it. You're not going to get Chemayev to come out and speak about it because they're friendly. And that's just not the way that it works. But at the end of the day, you do know who you want matched up with and you don't know who you don't. I'm not attempting to speak for Sean. What I'm attempting to speak for is if 
by example, Sean was not as interested in the outcome of Paul Acosta and Hazmat Shemaev, as is getting ready to be announced. It is crystal clear to Stevie Wonder that the outcome of that match is going to be directly related to who Sean fights next. Unless Sean gets in front of it. Just by example, I'm just I'm making an example. If Sean gets in front of it and says, I'm not interested. That's my training part. I fought him a hundred times and we did it for free. Right? I mean, Sean's not gonna, Sean's got too much pride. Sean's not gonna do that. I'm attempting to prove the point for you. That a million people want to know what Dana wants to know. They want to know what Izzy wants to do. And you're getting uh, Duplicy to weigh in. You're having Chael come over and tell you this. And Whitaker's waiting on it. Everything's been talked about except to ask Sean, who would you like to fight next? Would you like to return the favor? Would you like to fight Adesanya? Except this time, we don't do it in Australia. This time, we do it in Las Vegas. I mean, like, this is promotion 101, right? I mean, we don't do it at 185 pounds. We do it at 184 pounds. Or we do it in a ring instead of a cage. Or we put a coal miner's glove on the top of it. And the first one to get to the ladder and to climb up to the top. Like, I mean, you can do anything you want with it. But you're going to have a very, you're going to have a very hard sell. You're not going to have a hard time selling the idea that Adesanya deserves it. You're not going to have a hard time selling the idea that Adesanya falls from champion to number one. You're not even going to have a hard time explaining that he has an off night the same as everybody else. You're not going to have a hard time with any of those things. You're going to have a hard time explaining why you're not doing the fight in Australia, which gave Adesanya, at least in your perception, an advantage. So we're here we have Sean Strickland that won a fight four rounds to one. And now we're going to do the same fight, but we're going to do it in Las Vegas where Strickland lives. He's going to return the favor. We're going to do it at his home and give him an advantage. You don't give an advantage to the guy that just won four rounds to one. you got to give an advantage to the other guy or you don't have a story to tell. Which in lies the problem. Which in lies one of the top reasons that it's likely to not be Adesanya next. Now, I, I'm not here to speak on that. What I'm here to speak on is the fact that Sean can manipulate that single-handedly. Sean came out and said, I felt like he didn't try. He wasn't as good as my bad sparring partners. That's powerful stuff. I mean, that really is very interesting stuff. Israel Adesanya is a nasty guy. He is a very, very good fighter. And Chris Curtis came out. He had a very interesting take on this. I talk about Sean Strickland. Surprisingly, he's got some friends. Well... Chris Curtis happens to be one of them. Chris said, you know what? He said, everybody that ever comes in our gym, he said, I've watched Sean go with a hundred different people. He said, everybody that's ever come in our gym, their first time going with him, they got their ass kicked that bad. So the second day, Sean is still beat him, but they go closer. And the third day, Sean is still win, but they go even closer. And I'm changing some of the words if you saw Curtis's interview. But the point is he was very complimentary to his teammate, but he did make a point that he's got an awkward style. So, you know, guys come in, they got one time to deal with this. You don't really see it on TV. He looks like he's by the numbers. He's not. He's very awkward. And I thought that that was a really interesting take. I thought that was a really helpful take. And I do think Adesanya figured some things out. And I do think Adesanya deserves the match, whatever that word means. I think Adesanya's likely contender to get the match. 
but I don't know if he's the most likely contender. And if Sean really believes that was him at his best, or at least close thereto, and he did have a little bit of an advantage considering he, meaning Izzy, knew when the fight was going to be. He knew that he was going to fight. And I found out six weeks ago and had to board a plane after getting a training camp in this Crocodile Dundee hat. I'm going to take those advantages that he had. No matter how much they were an advantage, they were still advantages. I'm going to take those away. And my 4-1 to one is going to become 6-1 to one in a five-round fight. I mean, right now, like if, if it's something like this, that's who he should go after. There was going to be no problem. He could get in front of it. And he could be the noble man. You know what, guys? I've heard all the comments made online. I've even heard you naysayers say that Izzy doesn't deserve it. By God, he did me a favor. I'm now a millionaire, and you better bet your ass I'm going to return it. That's the kind of guy I refuse to fight anybody else. Because I do the right thing. And I'm going to return the fa You're stuck. You are stuck a hundred different ways. Whenever the champion calls for the fight, it's a powerful thing. When a champion calls for the hardest fight he can find, you are now done. You're done. It's been tested. It's been tested. How else do you explain Yoel Romero off of a loss versus Israel Adesanya? Well, you got a Cuban Olympic wrestling medalist versus a tall, skinny kickboxer from New Zealand. Wherever in the world New Zealand is, that, that's how you explain it. And that's how they did explain it. They said, man, this is the fight he wanted. That's the hardest fight I can imagine. How do I tell him no? So if you have a champion in Sean Strickland who calls out the number one guy, calls out the record setter, calls out the GOAT, it doesn't matter if he just beat him. It doesn't matter if it's 4-1. to None of those things matter. If Sean calls for the fight, that's the fight. And it's a very interesting concept. When a blind man can see, the outcome to Paulo Costa versus Chemayev is going to be related to Sean, unless Sean wants to come in and spoil the party, which he's got the right to do. You got checkers and you got chess. You can see the boards. You know what pieces they're doing. Is that the match you want or isn't it? Do you not care? Do you really not care? I mean, I know it's one thing to say you don't care, but do you actually not care? Why would you not care? You want to fight your friend? Is that no big deal to you? Fight with me. You want to fight that guy specifically? Is that no big deal to you? Fight with me. You trained with that guy. How did it feel? By the way, he was 170 pounds. Now now he's going to be up 20 pounds. So throw everything you know about him out the window and just know that however it did, it gives an advantage to him. It's all fine with me. I, I, it's not my point at all. My point is when everything's going nice and smooth and you think you got it all figured out, the one thing that you haven't asked is of Sean Strickland, what do you want to do? And as much as you might think that answer doesn't matter, there are certain rules that can't be broken. If the champion calls for a fight, it matters. If the champion calls for the number one ranked guy, the fight's done. If the champion calls for the hardest guy in the division, the fight's done. There is no exception. You will not go out history and find an exception for me where the number one guy and the absolute best guy is called for by the champion and they go to number three you won't find an example you will find bad negotiating you'll find rotten managers you'll find reasons you did it not when everybody is willing you will not find an example throughout history where the promoter didn't sign off because he was forced to sign off sean strickland has that power sean strickland can paint him into a corner i don't know if he cares to but i do think it's a valid question you're asking everybody else what they think about it you've left out one guy you never asked Sean. How long you guys been with me?
Anybody go back six years? Do you go back to the beginning? Do you remember when I had my partner, Joel? Do you guys remember the Godfather? So, I have very funny lines that I've remembered over my life. And you guys are the same way. Hey, tell me the funniest story. Tell me a great thing that happened in high school. And we all reminisce and we all look back on it. But Joel had like his own language. I mean, Joel was such a good co-host and the numbers were so big and you guys loved him. And it went in very weird directions, but he had his own language. And the people that spoke that language, give you an example, driving Joel's car one time. He asked me to come pick him up. He had a Hummer. We're in Westland. He had the only Hummer in Westland. Like, those are now a thing, like the Humvee. But but it wasn't back then. And he had the black one and the blacked out windows and silver rims. And he calls me up. It's 4th of July. He'd been drinking. He says, hey, come down here and pick me up. So I run to wherever he's at a few miles away. And I pick him up. So I'm driving the car. He's in the passenger seat. And there was a property in Westland that has the best view in all of Westland. You can see the mountains, and you can see all the way to Washington. It's just this gorgeous view. And as I'm pulling up the hill, the owner of the property is outside. And I've always wondered what he wanted for that property. It's a random thing. I've lived here my whole life, but I'm going to have Joel. Joel's been drinking. That's a weird thing to ask a guy. Hey, by the way, is this house for sale? And if so, how much would you like for it? Like, that's just a weird thing to do. But I got a drunk guy that now owes me a favor because I ran three miles and came and picked him up. So as we're going up the hill, I tell Joel, which I pointed out, I drive by this house all the time, and I tell him every time we go back, that's the best view in Westland. Look at that view this guy's got. So I tell Joel, guy's outside, ask him how much for the house. So... I slow the Hummer down, which is kind of an intimidating rig. Like, if you're outside of minding your own business and somebody pulls up at a blacked-out Hummer with the window down, you would be re- you would be best to run in zigzag lines and keep your head down. Like, there's probably, according to the movies, there's like, there's like a submachine gun coming out the window, right? So I roll the window down. I pull over. I turn the radio down. Joel's going to ask this guy. We don't know this guy. We don't even know what his name is. He doesn't know who we are. He needs to ask the guy, are you interested in selling the property? And if so, how much? He needs to ask the question. The words that come out of Joel's mouth is, what's the money on it, Haas? That's what he says to the guy. And the guy says, huh? And I'm kind of thinking the same thing. What? And Joel repeats it. He says, what's the money on it, Haas? At which point, I put the gas down, roll the window up, and we never speak to that guy again. But it's one of these moments, right? Like, what is the money on it? Haas absolutely does matter. Sure it matters. I'm looking at Sean Strickland. Sean has been very open to tell you guys his business, which he doesn't owe you. He's been very open to tell you it's about the money. He took that belt off, the belt that I dreamed about. I dreamed at night of having this thing. He took it off and he said, how much can I get for this? Somebody answered his question and told him it goes for $1,750. He set the belt down and said, that's not even enough money to put spinners on my Honda Accent. So at the end of the day, with Sean Strickland, who's not afraid to go into enemy territory, he's not afraid to go to 170 or 185, one of the best 70-pounders in Kamar Usman, he fought the best 85-pounder in Israel out of Sonia. Like, there's not a question of this guy's courage. But he does have a question. What is the money on it, Haas? And it even held this fight up. It even held the fight up. If you guys remember, if, if, if your short-term memories can go back to six weeks ago, the fight was announced, and then the fight was announced that it wasn't going to happen. Then Israel Adesanya, what a gangster. Israel Adesanya does not get enough credit. Israel Adesanya calls the UFC and demands that it's Sean Strickland. He's got problems with Sean from X, Y, and Z. Sean was the hardest fight. Sean was the right fight. 
And you want to know what Izzy did? You want to know what Izzy did? None of you guys are talking about this. And it really does irritate me. Because fighting is a very personal thing. And it seems like those guys are famous and they're superstars and they're on TV and everybody's clapping for them. Their life sucks. Izzy's life is not fun. It will be. Someday he will do what's called enjoying the fruits of his labor. It's not now. And it wasn't last year and it wasn't 10 years ago. It's going to bed early, getting up early, getting the work and being sore constantly, being stressed out of your mind, changing your physiology, listening to your trainers, getting told what to do by managers and promoters, flying from this town, checking into that hotel, eating dinner by yourself, all while cutting weight, and the only thing you have to look forward to is being trapped in a steel cage with a trained assassin. Literally. So he goes out and he does all of these things. And we got guys that won't show up to fights because their foot hurts. You guys let them off the hook, man. These are your rules. Like the fighters, as, as much of... I don't know a sport with bigger whips. I, and I really don't. These are my own people. I don't look at football players as tough guys. I just don't. But they show up every Sunday, and they never once sit down and ask you, who am I going to play against? Who's opposite me? What does this one pay? Manning's going to be here this week, and that's different than Rodgers. And that's what you paid me for Elway. And I escaped the Young and Montana era, but what are you, t shut the F up, it's Sunday, go play, or don't, that's okay too, get the F out of here, we'll put somebody else in that has this same dream. Fighters don't want to do that, they get called to work three times a year, and they've always got these excuses. I'm not going to go fight him, because my foot hurts. That happened, and you guys let it go. In my neighborhood, that wouldn't ride. But you guys, let it go. Okay, but here's what Adesanya did, meanwhile. Why you want to give him a hard time and you want to puck on him. Here's what he did. He never talked about his feet. I don't know how his feet felt. I don't know how any part of his body felt. I do know, six weeks prior, he was willing to fight Whitaker, or he was willing to fight Duplissy. He preferred to fight Duplissy, but he agreed to fight either one. I do know six weeks ago, he demanded to fight Sean Strickland, and all the while, behind the scenes, which he never got credit for, he also agreed to fight Jared Cannonier. So we got guys that won't show up for one fight because their foot hurts. And that's okay with you guys. That's fine. That's fine. You can all be a bunch of wimps in this, but whatever. You're okay with it. You have a badass that agreed to fight four guys. Four guys in the last six weeks. In the last six weeks, Israel Adesanya has been asked by Dana White and or Hunter Campbell, will you fight Jared Kanegar? And he said, yes. Will you fight Sean Strickland? And he said, yes. Would you fight Robert Whitaker if he wins? And he said, yes. Would you fight Drinkis Duplissy if he wins? And Israel said, yes. And you're in one of these really interesting spots with who you want to give the credit to. How much shine do you want to do and how much parity do you want to bring in? Do you believe from a business standpoint the time for the rematch is right now? The rankings reflected he clearly deserves it. He agreed to fight four men in one day, which nobody else in your roster would do, including your number one ranked guy. Do we want to punish him or do we want to reward him? It's an interesting question. And then you have the rising up of a top three media darling ever in Hazmat Chemayev, who's getting ready to take on maybe the most marketable guy you got.
Paulo Costa might be the most handsome, the most well-spoken, he's got the juice, he's got the gimmick on social media, he's got the cool shirts, he might be the most marketable guy you got, but you're going to have to ask Sean Strickland, what does he want to do? And Sean Strickland is going to ask you one question, it's not who is the opponent, it's not where is the fight, it's not how much time do I have, he's going to ask you, what's the money on it, Haas? guy that you go to listen to is Ian Parker. Now, in full disclosure, he's a friend of mine. All right, great. I'm, I'm just getting out of that away. But aside from that, if you track him publicly, which has been done, he's got just this incredible return rate. So when Ian starts talking about fights, I tend to listen. Talking with Ian this morning, he's out there on the East Coast. I'm out here. It's like five in the morning, my time, very early. And we, we, we get going over our cups of coffee and he made an observation. It was a simple observation, but it did make me look. And he was saying, in his opinion, before we get into the X's and O's, or before we get into the odds, or before we get into predictions of winners or losers for Hazmat Chemaya versus Paulo Costa, we got to get him to the ring. What? And I literally wrote him back and said, you have my attention. It was like, is this inside scoop that you're sharing with me? Which one of them? do you think isn't going to make that walk? Now, I brought you a piece several months ago where I told you this fight doesn't feel right. It, and it doesn't. Now, that doesn't mean in a negative way, in full disclosure. This is just a very different fight. I went on Ariel's show... And Aaron Bronstetter gave me credit for this. TSN out of Canada. He gave me credit for it. He said, as reported by Chilson. And I wasn't attempting to report something, but I talked to Paulo's team, and I talked to Osmet Chemaya's team, and I just brought on, on Aero's show that those two are going to fight. It's going to be October 22nd. It's going to be on Fight Island. Guys, when October 22nd rolls around versus the date that I made that claim and Aaron Bronstetter gave me credit for is six months. I do not know a time... In the sports history, not UFC, industry-wide, I don't know of a time that a fight was announced six months before it happened. Now, I must tell the rest of the story, which is, that was me announcing it. That wasn't done by the organization, and perhaps nothing was off there. And as a matter of fact, not only did they not back me up, and not only did they not announce it, they announced a different fight for Paula Costa. Looks like Chael's news is wrong. But I also brought you guys a piece when that came out. And I told you, no, I don't think I'm wrong. I don't believe that Paulo Costa is flying to Salt Lake City to take on a Russian kickboxer. I don't believe that. I think getting anybody against Jemayev is a very hard thing to do. The Terminator, Paulo Costa, some people call him the eraser. I like the Terminator. But Paulo Costa wasn't shy about sharing some of his differences that he was having at the negotiating table. He wasn't shy about it. And he even said, man, I'll do what Francis did. I'll run this damn thing out. However you guys want to play this, I'll play. But I think that it's a relevant factor that he was difficult at that time. Right, wrong, or indifferent, but he was difficult at that time and he was open about it. 
Now, there's a, several guys that are like that, and you see it their way, and you bring them this great new shiny contract. But when you do that, and you present that with them, you also present them with the hardest task that they've ever been asked to do. Is that's the time to get the yes. That's the time to go, I'm going to do this for you, but here's what you're going to do to me. Not three fights, not five fights, not I'll see you down the road right now, right here, right now, Chemayev. And that's what I believe happened. And that's what I told Ariel it happened. That's what Aaron credited me with. I believe that that's what happened. I don't believe they gave him a great, big, new, shiny, beautiful contract and then said, come to Salt Lake City and take on this Russian kickboxer. And I do not attempt to insult the Russian kickboxer, by the way. Guy's a total stud. Total stud. But I'm not familiar with him, and you, you guys wouldn't be either. He'd never fought on pay-per-view before. He'd never fought on a main card before. I don't call him the Russian kickboxer to be condescending to him. I'm telling you what I know about him. And that would be a very strange guy to match up Paulo Costa with when you just did a beautiful contract and you could get him to agree to anything right now. And that's what you try to get him to agree with? I I made you peace back then. I told you I, I don't think so. Now, I've been a fight fan since I skipped a class with my buddy Jeff Williams my junior year of high school, went down to the video store and rented something called the UFC, took a VHS, put in a tape player, and this guy named Hoist Gracie, amongst others, pops up. I don't know of a time ever that the organization has broken up a fight. It doesn't matter if it's a main event, an undercard, somewhere in between. It doesn't matter. I know of fights that get broken up all the time because one of the guys is sick or he's hurt or whatever their excuses are. I don't know of a time that the organization has stepped in and done it. If it's happened, I don't know of it. Could not cite it for you. Never heard of it. But never happened, it stayed very quiet. That's the position that Paulo Costa was in. He was one week from boarding an airplane to go out to Salt Lake City when he gets a phone call that says the fight's off and we're going back to you versus Chemayev, which is what the whole world expected anyway. Because yours truly told the biggest media member, Errol Hawani, and it got picked up by Aaron Bronstetter, who works for the biggest network that covers the sport in Canada called TSN. I mean, this is the way that it happened. You would never run that back. And when I tell you never, this is not an exception because this didn't get ran back. Okay, great. So now you've got the fight that everybody thought that you were going to have and the fight that everybody wanted to see. And by the time it goes off, there's going to be a six-month gap in between. I can't remember the last time that Chemayev got a paycheck. But I know it was a long time ago because I know Nate Diaz was on the card. And I know Nate Diaz has left the organization, signed somewhere else, trained for a sport he'd never done before, done the fight, and has already <laughs> recovered. And that was a month ago. I mean, not for nothing. Like, this has been a meaningful period of time. That's never happened before. It's never happened, these pieces that I'm presenting for you. And there's no part of this where I'm saying it's not great. It's not successful. It's not wonderful. I, I'm not. I don't know. It, it is, it's not happened before. It's an experiment. We're all going through this together, but I would like you to observe it. Because Ian makes a fantastic point. And I have long wondered, who's at fault here? I like to know who's at fault here, right? Like the marketing department of the UFC, which is a machine. I mean, these are the best and brightest people. These are my friends. 
But if my friends were to talk about me, they would say wonderful things. Chael's a really great guy. And then they'd have to go, well, you know, except for when he used to rob banks and broke the rules of every athletic commission there ever was. Like, they would have to say other things, right? There's always the, there's always corrective parts that you could put out, even in a wonderful friendship. But I'm just sharing with you what did happen here. And I don't just mean on this fight. I mean on Hazmat Shemaya. There are three media darlings in the history of the company. In history, there's three, probably in this order, Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, Hazmat Jemayev. If you want to argue about the order, go ahead, but it's those three. There was an attempt to have a fourth thing, Brock Lesnar, but Brock had to meet him halfway and he didn't do it. I mean, I'm just sharing for you, in the history of the company, there has only been three people that the media were captivated by. Hazmat Chemaev was such a big deal, there was a headline. Now make sure you understand, I didn't say an article and I didn't say a story. A headline, it beat everything else out, and it was Michael Bisping telling a story, not that he heard from Chemaev, that he had heard from somebody else that he didn't even know if was true about Chemaev. That's a literal statement. There was a, I'm going to say it again, there was a, this isn't a riddle, this isn't a riddle, I'm telling you a literal statement. Michael Bisping, headline telling a story about Chemayev that he got from someone else, and Bisping even said, I don't even know if this is accurate, but this is what I was told. Had to do with Chemayev driving, and he wasn't on the right side of the lane like we do in America. He was on the opposite in a rental car. This is three and a half years ago. I just told you that it was a headline. I told you who said it was Bisping. I've never known who Bisping got it from because he never said. And I told you what it was about, which was Shemaev driving on the opposite side of the road in a rental car while he was in the United States. There is no story from three and a half years ago that I could tell you about an MMA. And neither could you. You could not produce a story from me that made a headline. Tell me the author and tell me the context. We don't even know if it happened. The point that I'm trying to make is how big Chemayev was. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing about Chemayev. All of a sudden, it's radio silence. And I get that that's not literal. I get that you can find Chemayev stuff. But it's certainly not like it used to be. Whose side is that on? Is Chemayev not returning those phone calls? Did he lose interest? Is that not what he's doing anymore? I don't know about that, man. Pretty damn good at media. I think he enjoys it. Shemaya was one of the best fighters in the world for a long time. He couldn't make any money. He's at a gym. He's out there in Sweden. I mean, not for nothing. He finally got the spotlight. I think he enjoyed it. I think he did everything right. And Shemaya was a lot younger than you might know. Shemaya's like 27 years old. This guy's got a decade left of shelf life. So I want to just take a look at this card. Everything that I just stated for you, okay? Now, this is a co-main event. We weren't talking about the main event six months ago. We didn't even know it. But we were talking about the co-main event, and everybody was looking forward to it. And when there was a breakup and Paulo Costa got put over here, there was such a, a deflation. There was such a letdown by the audience that the organization went in, pulled the fight, and put it back on. That's a really big deal. Three days ago, it was announced that Israel Adesanya is not guaranteed a rematch with Sean Strickland. Now, just so you understand what that means, that means I'm preserving the right to announce that Chemayev and Paulo Costa is a number one contenders match. Whether it ends up being it or not, I'm preserving the right to announce that it is. There's a lot on that. This is a co-main event. This is October 22nd. This is in Fight Island. This is on pay-per-view. Tell me another fight on that card, please. Go ahead. I'll, I'll wait. Tell me another fight on the card. Tell me the main event of the card. Some of you smart marks know what it is. 
But if you are one of the smart marks and you know that it's Oliveira versus Islam, which is a four to one spread, it was three to one the first time, it's now four to one. Islam has nothing he can say. There's no need to interview Islam. Hey, Islam, do you think you can beat Charles? Yeah, I've already beat Charles. Okay, do you think you can beat him again? Yeah, and so does everybody else. That's why I'm a four to one favorite. We're all done here. Great. No problem. Let's hear from Charles. If you're going to do a rematch, the guy had to fight for it. He had to earn it. He had to want it. Let's hear why. Well, Charles has done four pieces of media about this fight. The first was to let you know he wasn't going to do it. The second was to let you know he's going to fight Conor McGregor. The third was to let you know he will fight Islam, but not on that date because he's injured. And the fourth, once it was signed, was to let you know he will not be doing media leading into the fight, that that's what he regrets about the first one. I'm not making this up. The fourth piece of media Charles Oliveira ever did about this fight is to let you know his regret going into the first one is that he talked too much. He said, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm not going to do media. Fair enough. You don't need to because we got a killer co-main event, but they're not saying anything. Now, that would be very in line with Paula Costa. I can't put that on him. And I don't know if Chemayev isn't talking about it. I don't know if he respects him. If it's the first guy at 185 pounds in the top 20 that he's ever fought, it's the first guy with takedown defense that he's ever fought. If it's the biggest guy that he's ever fought, Chemayev didn't make weight for his last fight. Paulo Costa has missed weight for the weight class up above. Like, this is a really big guy. This is a really different challenge. Does he respect him? Is there a pressure here? Is the media not calling him? I don't, I don't have the answers for this, but something doesn't feel right. It hasn't felt right six months ago when the fight was made. It didn't feel right when the fight was announced that it wasn't going to happen. It didn't feel right when they broke it up and broke the, uh, the Russian kickboxer. It doesn't feel right now that it's next month. And I can't find a statement from either one of them. I can find a statement for the main event saying I'm not going to do media for... Okay, uh, for goodness sakes. All right, fair enough. L let's just move to the co-main event because that's the one everybody wants to see. But I can't find it. Are they buckled down in training? People will love to tell you that the, the big braggadocious guy, man, that's the coward. He's got something to cover up. He's trying to talk himself into it. Those people are wrong. It's a little quiet guy that's scared, doesn't want anybody to look. The big loud guy wants people to see because he's got confidence. You actually, you've had it wrong. Your teachers and your mother told you wrong. So if I'm at all on the right trail and these two respect each other and they're buried down and they're hunkered down and everything's great, now there's a little bit of pressure. Right, we've, we've seen people miss bigger fights, like world title fights, because they had a foot. I didn't say the foot was broken. I didn't say it was rolled. I didn't say it was sprayed. The foot hurt. We've seen this, and you've eaten it up. You've accepted it. That's okay with you. So if all those pieces are there, and then all of a sudden, the lights get brighter, and the pressure grows because it gets named a number one contender's fight, does that make them want to do it more, or does that drive them even further apart? Something about this fight doesn't feel right. All right, everybody. I have had it with you all. Thank you for listening, though. Leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcast because my Bentley payment isn't going to make itself. Matter of fact, Dimples, you left me one. You said you can't get this kind of insight anywhere. That is true, and I appreciate it, Dimples. I hope that you and everybody else comes back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.